1: Strength comes from God not through our own abilities not through our own strengths it's through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the obedient personal application of the Word of God let me give that to you one more time the obedient personal application of the Word of God in our life so in other words it doesn't do that much good just to have it memorized I've got to be obedient and I've got to make it personal in my life.
0: Have you ever met someone who seems to handle everything that comes their way so easily? No matter what it is, no matter how long the trial lasts, they just take it all in stride and respond with strength and grace. You may wonder how in the world they do it. Today, Pastor David will teach us to remain this strong. It's really no secret. It's all about being in the Word of God and then personally putting things into action. The medicine does not make you better unless you take it. Ready to try it? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Surrendered Life.
1: your way more often than not you're going to be overwhelmed with fear you're going to be overwhelmed with doubt i also know that there's medical situations that come into play but in the general the normal sense the major sense if we are filled with the holy spirit we are being led by the holy spirit even when we go through these rough times we can have that peace that passes all understanding we can have that calmness in the midst of every storm we have the power to be able to resist temptation. Luke describes both the battle of the spiritual as well as the battle of the physical. It says in verse 2 there that he was tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards when it had ended, he was hungry. This was a time of extreme fasting. 40 days is an extremely long time to fast. As a matter of fact, medically a 40-day fast takes a very serious toll on our body. Outside of those that might have some particular medical issues, just about any of us can survive a water-only, three-day fast. Okay, I know some of us really struggle with a six-hour fast, but uh, really and truly, uh, just about any of us, physically and medically, outside of medical issues, we can survive a, a three-day water-only fast. Because the hunger that we feel in a 24 or a 48 or a 72 hour fast is what they call a, a, a memory hunger. It's not so much a body hunger, it's a memory hunger. Our taste buds desire the taste of food, we emotionally desire even the very act of, of eating. Of receiving food. We habitually crave the very aspect of foods in those short hours. And the cravings are, are much, much stronger. If your diet, if your normal diet includes stuff that's high in salt or high in sugar, a lot of processed foods, it becomes harder and harder for you to fast. Why? Because your body becomes so accustomed to those things. But here, Jesus, in the fullness of his humanity, he fasts for 40 days. He's now in a dangerous physical state. His his physical strength was now suffering. And really and truly, in his humanity, there was great risk at this point. He was truly, physically hungry. And so we see in verse 3, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, then command this stone to become bread. Don't be fooled. Satan was well aware of who Jesus was. He wasn't questioning him in some kind of test. Mm -hmm. You know, you look like you're the Son of God, but I need some ID. I need some ID to make sure that you really are it. No, that's not what's going on here. As a matter of fact, the Greek structure of the sentence brings out better to simply say, "Since you are the Son of God, or in view of the fact that you are the Son of God, Satan knew that Jesus had a legitimate need or a desire for food. Forty days of fasting, he was hungry. And here Satan tempts him to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. What do you mean illegitimate way? Couldn't Jesus have just turned this stone into bread? What's wrong with that? There's no problem in that, but who would have been leading him? Would it have been the Spirit of God that says, Jesus, hey, you did the 40-day fast, now turn this stone into bread. No, it wasn't, wasn't the Spirit of God that was leading It was Satan himself that says, hey, you're hungry, turn this stone into bread. A legitimate need, Satan tries to get him to fulfill that need in an illegitimate way. But Jesus didn't respond to Satan in that physical way. His flesh was undoubtedly weak. He knew that the response that he needed to make to Satan had to be in the spirit. Beloved, for you and I, most of the battles that you and I lose to temptation in our life is because we try to fight them in the flesh rather than in the spirit. We try to say, well, you know, I'm going to deny, I'm going to stop, rather than crying out to the spirit of God to give us strength, to give us the ability to be able to overcome and to have victory in that temptation. Jesus fought against the temptation of the devil using the very same exact methods that you and I have available to us. He didn't pull the God card out when Satan came to who hey, oh, I'm God, you can't tempt me. No, he was in the flesh. And so how did he respond? He responded through the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Look at verse four. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Too often we hear that Scripture quoted man shall not live by bread alone, and then it stopped right there. They, for some reason, they don't include the rest of it. But Jesus knew that, hey, it's not, not by bread alone, but it's by every word of God. And what do you mean by every word of God? I mean the full context of what the word of God declares and proclaims to us. The context of the word of God again, growing within our hearts and lives in order that we might know the greatness of who our God is, the greatness of the power that is available through his spirit, that we might know the weaknesses of our own flesh, and that we might know the tactics of the enemy. How do I live? Not just by eating and living and breathing. No, but I live, truly live, by understanding and knowing the word of God, and applying it to my life in order that I might be able to have victory over the temptation and over the attacks of the enemy. Why? Because I can go back to the very same source that Jesus used when he battled temptation back to the word of God. Our strength comes from God, not through our own abilities, not through our own strengths. It's through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the obedient personal application of the word of God. Let me give that to you one more time. The obedient personal application of the word of God in our life. So in other words, it doesn't do that much good just to have it memorized. I've gotta be obedient and I've got to make it personal in my life. This isn't a word that was written just to some 2,000 or 2,500 years ago. No, this is God's word to me today, here, in this culture, in this time frame, in the battles that I'm going through. I take this word and I understand that is the very source of victory for me is through the word of God and through the Spirit of God, and I make it personal, obedient to what it declares personal in my own life, and through the application, I apply that word to my life. I see, Lord, that, that, wow, that speaks to me so much. I love it when after preaching the word, and some of you have come up to me afterwards, man, pastor, you just really, you, you really spoke to my heart today. I want you to know that whenever I'm preaching, whenever I'm teaching, the Lord has spoken to my heart through this word before I come and tried to bring it to you because beloved woe unto me if the word's not speaking to me and I try and make it apply to you. It's got to apply to us the reality and the truth of it in our life. You hungry Jesus? Turn the stone into bread. That'd be fine. No, no. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. So you know what? Round one. Jesus wins. No stones are turned to bread at this point. He didn't do it his way. He did it the Father's way. Verse number five. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now this had to be an absolute bizarre twist of events for Jesus to actually hear those words coming from the mouth of the one who had at one time been in the heavenlies, not to be worshiped in the heavenlies, but to be a creature of worship to Almighty God and to be as a servant of God. You see, that's what the devil once was, in Isaiah chapter 14, we read about the devil's demise. Uh, Isaiah tells us, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, you son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the midst of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I will do it my way, in essence. His pride and his desire to be worshiped was his downfall. Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 28, a little bit more of the background, and again, speaking prophetically about Lucifer, about Satan, the devil. Thus says the Lord God, you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, speaking to Lucifer, speaking to Satan himself. You were in Eden, the garden of God, You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. You became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor and I cast you to the ground. In pride, Satan desired worship, and so he was cast out of heaven. And now he comes to Jesus, calling for the very Son of God, God in human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, to come now and bow down before him. In this supernatural move, he takes Jesus suddenly to this high mountain and in a flash shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And then Satan says this very strange thing. He says, all this authority I will give to you and their glory because it's been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. The question ought to come into our minds, wait a minute, how in the world did this authority come to Satan? Who would have given it to him and for what reason? Well, we go back to Genesis, go back to the reality of at the very beginning of chapter one of Genesis, who had the dominion over the world? Adam. Who had responsibility for the world? Adam. God entrusted that into Adam's care. And then what happened? Adam sinned. Adam fell. Adam was cast out of the garden with Eve. At that point in time, he surrendered that dominion to Satan when he fell As he was removed from the garden through his sin, he relinquished the responsibilities to Satan. Oh, and by the way, why did Adam fall? Because of his pride. He desired to be like God. Wasn't that the temptation that Satan gave to Eve and Adam also received it? Three times in the Gospel record of John, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world, or as some versions put it, the prince of this world. Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians as well as in Ephesians refers to him as the God of this age, ruler of the darkness of this world, the prince of the power of the air. That's why I'm so excited we have a radio station. We're breaking into his territory, you know? How can this continue to be? How can he continue to have authority and any say here in the world? Because the vast majority of humanity continues to, to be under his control and under his influence. They've subjected themselves to his will rather than submitting themselves to the will of Almighty God. And you might say, well, wait a minute. You know, People haven't sold themselves over to Satan. There's only one of two ways that you can go. You are either sold out to the plan and the purpose and the direction of Almighty God, or you're sold out to the plan and the purpose of Satan himself. And some might say, oh, that's not true. I I, I run my own ship. I'm the captain of my... I do things my way. You're under the deceit of the enemy. Because when the end times come, the revealing of the truth is is that you've obeyed his lure. You've obeyed his temptations. You've obeyed his whisperings into your ear that says, don't serve him. Serve yourself. And in serving yourself, we actually serve Satan. Man's desire is to do it his way, So he places himself, whether he realizes or not, he places himself under the headship of Satan. And by rejecting God's way, he now walks in Satan's way. And so the one that was removed from his place in heaven because he desired to be in the place of God and to receive worship that only God deserves, he comes and tells Jesus, if you will bow down to me, all of this authority I will give to you, and its glory, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Satan offers a glorification of self and ill-gained powers." And at the very same time, he calls for a compromise. Here Satan tempts Christ with his desire for self-glorification and for power. Our pride is alive and well. We, as a people, normally we have a strong desire for authority, for power, for prestige. Not only does Jesus know our every weakness, but Satan also knows our every weakness. We crave after this self-glorification and power. And all too often, we're seeking the accolades of man rather than the praises of God. We seek, how is this going to impact my life here where I live right now? You might say, well, I don't seek the accolades of man. I don't seek any praise. I don't seek any position. Let me ask you just this simple question. Does your life, moment by moment of your life, day in and day out, seek to glorify God and him only? Or do you find yourself many times in a place of compromise where you just kind of blend into the world's system? You blend into the world's ways rather than standing up for the reality and truth of what you know to be right according to God's word. Jesus would have had to bow before Satan and deny the father. And if he came to that point and that position of compromise, all that the father had already promised him, all that the father had already determined to turn over to him, he would have lost. But you see, the father's plan was, all this will be yours The world will come, they will bow at your feet. Every knee will bow, proclaiming Jesus is Lord. But son, first you need to go to the cross. And Satan says, oh no, you don't need to go through all that. Just come and bow before me. I'll give it to you. And you see, if Jesus didn't go to the cross, do you understand the, the tremendously huge, catastrophically wrong situation that would have been? Because you see, the effectiveness Of the sacrifice of Christ would have been gone forever and there would have been no sacrifice for our sin. We're not able to do it. Only Christ was the sinless Lamb of God and if he would have listened and acted upon the temptation of the enemy there would have been no other sacrifice available. The Word of God speaks so much to us about this idea of pride, this idea of self-gratification and self-glorification. All through the word it speaks. Just a couple of them. Psalm 147, 6 says that the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked or the prideful down to the ground. You see, our God is a jealous God. He'll have no other gods before him. And when we seek glory for ourselves, we are in essence telling others to worship ourselves or we ourselves are worshiping ourselves rather than walking in humility and letting God be all to us. In both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we find this jealousy of God because of the greatness of who he is. Self-glorification is simply self worship. James tells us in the New Testament, in James chapter 4, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you want God to resist you, or do you want to receive the grace of God? He goes on to say, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Satan offers Jesus this easy way out, but Jesus wouldn't take the easy way out. He wouldn't move in selfishness because he was committed to selflessness. He was committed, again, to the worship which was due to the Father and to the Father only. And once again, he doesn't respond with some supernatural ability. He doesn't respond with some power that's only available to him because he's the Son of God. Once again, he responds with the Word and with the Spirit. In verse 8, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it's written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Round two goes to Jesus again. Because once again, he is humbled in his life. He has, again, emptied himself of self. And as he humbles himself, he continues on that road to Calvary. Beloved, there's a lot more to be said in these temptations of Christ, the the third and the the final one, to look and see once again what the enemy does. The enemy is going to come and he's going to use scripture now. He says, oh, you want to use scripture? Well, let me use a little bit of scripture. But you know what? We don't have time to go into that this morning. We're going to look at that next week. How do we deal with it when it seems like Scripture is saying one thing, and what do we do with that? Again, in the whole aspect of it, Satan bringing these temptations to tempt God in his life. And I believe that too many times we tempt God the wrong way. You know, God in in one place in the Scripture says, trust me and try me. Prove me, he says. Prove me, And, and that whole area is in the stewardship of our lives and the stewardship of our finances. But I find too many other believers living their lives in a way that, again, well, God will get me out of this. God will take care of this. I can live any way that I want. God will take care of this. I can do this and God will save me. That's not the way that God works. The biggest thing that we need to see, the biggest thing that we need to understand here this morning is our lives in selfless sacrifice. Live for the glory of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, Led by the Holy Spirit, beloved, you can have victory over sin in your life. You can have victory over the temptations that the enemy throws at you. And as I've shared with many people through the years, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building nests in your hair. Okay? Temptations come to all of us. Temptations came to Jesus. Yeah, but those weren't real temptations. Don't fool yourself. These were real temptations. Neither do you need to fool yourself thinking that that was all the temptations that ever hit Jesus. That was just at the very beginning of his ministry. There was temptation all throughout his ministry. You see, temptation isn't the sin. The the sin is when we allow that temptation to become a part of our lives, that bird building the nest in the hair. Seeking to be led by the Spirit, desiring to be filled by the Spirit. The only way that I can be filled by the Spirit is when I'm emptied of self in order that He can fill this vessel for His glory and for His honor. Open our hearts us from within by the open word
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com You can also subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Now, here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us.
1: We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your
0: support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option
1: in the main menu.
0: We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.